Well, as I mentioned a while ago, I'm going to be in Romans chapter 6 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the 6th chapter of Romans, we'll, uh, we'll read the first 14 verses of Romans 6. This morning, while you're turning there, uh, I'll tell you that uh, I suppose I will uh, entitle the message this morning, Victory in Jesus. Uh, I was going to uh, entitle the message a little differently than that. Uh, I was going to call the message this morning, The Life of the Living Dead. But I was afraid some of you would think I was talking about some zombie movie or something like that. And I didn't want you to think that. But I think that, uh, I hope that when we arrive at the conclusion of the message this morning that you'll perhaps see and understand that uh, a title like The Life of the Living Dead would not at all be out of place. Uh, for this message because that's in reality uh, what the life of the Christian is. It is the life of the living dead. That is the life of victory for the Christian as the Apostle Paul makes very clear here in the sixth chapter of his letter to the church at Rome. And so I trust that we'll all see that this morning. Uh, perhaps some of us already do. Perhaps some of you may not. But it is the desire of my heart that all of us perhaps will be able to leave this time of worship and study of God's Word this morning with an understanding of uh, the reality of what we have in Christ. Uh, this morning. And so if you would look with me now in Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, where Paul begins with this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into de His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead, or he that has died, is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, or if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died into sin, unto sin once, but in that He lives, He lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. I wonder if we might just pause for a moment and pray and ask God 
in His rich grace to be pleased to make clear to us His Word to us this morning. Let's pray. Our dear Father, how we long to hear You speak. And oh, Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, our Teacher, how we pray that it might please You to clarify, make clear to us that which our Father would speak to our hearts. Oh, Lord, we are children. We are so immature. Lord, we need, we need to be taught. We need to have instruction. Oh, Spirit of God, teach us today. Open the eyes of our understanding. Enable us to see clearly. Oh, Lord, glorify your name in our lives. Draw us close. Draw us close to yourself. Glorify your name in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. Lord, may we leave this gathering together today. May we leave this worship service Lord strengthened enriched may we leave here knowing knowing that you have been present and knowing that you have spoken to our hearts and knowing that Lord knowing that you have a purpose for our lives and having a better understanding of what that purpose is. So, Lord, have your way now as we consider your word together. Manifest your presence, glorify your name, and exalt the Lord Jesus in our midst. Is our prayer in his precious name. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at this sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, uh, immediately we see here as the sixth chapter of this letter begins, uh, the Apostle Paul is anticipating here in the first verse a question arising. based upon something he said a little earlier there in chapter 5. So we need to go back and take a peek at that for just a moment before we, before we go on. So let's take a look at, at verse 20 where I believe uh, he had said something that causes what he believes would be a question uh, that would arise in the hearts of some. He says in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that uh, the offense might abound. But then he says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now then, I, I doubt seriously that there's, I hope any of you here this morning that would have this question arise in your heart like the Apostle Paul suspected that there might have been some uh, that read the letter that had this question arise in their hearts. But uh, the question that he thought might have arisen in the hearts of some of those that read the letter that he wrote was this. Uh, Shall we continue in sin then? You know, if... Uh, if uh, what was he said? If, if, if sin is abounding, uh, then grace is going to abound all the more. Shall we just continue in sin then so that grace will abound all the more? Is that the point? Well, how did Paul respond? Well, his short answer to that question is, God forbid. God forbid. Uh, 
how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God forbid. Uh, now, the ESV, I think, says, by no means. By no means. You can almost... <coughs> you can almost hear Paul respond, can't you? You can almost hear him. What a foolish thing. What a foolish thought. You know, to have. And yet, you know, perhaps there were some that, that actually had that. Uh, but then, even, even with Paul's answer here, his brief answer to what he thought might have been a question to arise. Another question uh, pops up in his mind, I think, even in his answer uh, to them when he says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, because there were undoubtedly some that are saying, well, what's he talking about? Some of these folks that claim to be Christian, what is he talking about? Dead to sin? Dead to sin? How, 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 we dead to sin? What the, I stumble at sin all the time. I wrestle with sin all the time. Well, we all do, don't we? We all do. So what's the Apostle Paul talking about? When he says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Well, so the Apostle Paul realized, I think, that a short answer was not nearly enough. And so he goes on and in the rest of the chapter, he gives a much more detailed answer to these questions. And, uh, but the thing that, that came to my mind as I was reading the sixth chapter of this letter that Paul wrote to the folks there in Rome. And the thing that began to concern me as I considered this portion of God's Word and the conviction that gripped my heart was that by and large, there are, I fear, many, many believers or Christians that can join right in with us and sing the song that we sang there just a few minutes ago, Victory in Jesus with Gusto. I mean, can sing right out and just, I mean, enjoy singing that wonderful song, Victory in Jesus. And many that can sing it without even using a hymnal. Don't even need the song because they know the words by heart. They've sung it so many times. And yet those very same believers every day of their lives struggle and know little, if any, at all, victory over sin in their lives. And perhaps, perhaps you may be one of those, knowing very little victory over sin in your life. Well, let me ask you a question. Has God saved you? Has He saved you? Has the Spirit of God borne witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? You know you're a believer? You know you're a child of God? You're convinced of that? Praise God. Praise the Lord for that. Well, then listen. I've shared with you before, I think, some things by James Smith. James Smith was a pastor years ago in London. Pastored the New Park Street pulpit before Spurgeon was called to pastor that church as a teenager, by the way. Uh, James Smith 
I've, uh, I've grown to appreciate him greatly. But in his The Way of Salvation set forth a book by him, he, he said this, He who saved us from the guilt of sin, He who saved us from the guilt of sin also saved us from the power of sin. Let me say that again. He who saved us from the guilt of sin. Now, he didn't want to say can save us from the power of sin. He said, he who saved us from the guilt of sin also saved us from the power of sin. A little bit later in that book, he went on to say, salvation is a deliverance from the power of sin and removes us from under its authority so that it may be said of every saved person. As Paul wrote in verse 14 right here in chapter 6. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Hmm. Maybe we need to listen to all that Paul said again. And these aren't just Paul's words. These are words that the Spirit of God directed him to write. This is the Word of God. Listen to what he said. Let's go back to verse 3. And let's, 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 let's read this again. Let's go slowly and let's listen closely to what God is saying through the Apostle Paul. Beginning with verse 3. Know ye not. Don't you know? Don't you know? That so many of us, as many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ. By the way, he's not talking about water at all here. Has nothing to do with water baptism. He's talking about being immersed, but not in water. The word baptize is, means immerse. The Greek word for baptize means immerse. Sometimes it's talking about being immersed in water, but not here. Talking about being immersed in what? Jesus Christ. Immersed in Jesus Christ. That's something God does. Something God did for every believer. Don't you know, Paul said, don't you know as many of us as were immersed Immersed into Jesus Christ. We're immersed into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him. Couldn't help it, could we? Couldn't help it. When God put us in Him, United us to Him. When He went to the cross, as a believer, I went with Him. I went with Him. As a believer, You went with Him. 
Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You're beginning to see why I almost entitled this message The Life of the Living Dead. Let's go on. For if we have been planted together, or if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Can't help it. Can't do anything about it. It's a fact. It's a reality. Something God did. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The Greek actually means done away. Done away. that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead or he that has died is freed from sin. Now if we be dead or if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law. You no longer are in the flesh having to struggle against sin in the flesh. You're under grace. The battle, the battle's been won. Battle's been won. Doesn't mean you shouldn't care. We'll get to what it means here in just a little bit. And what we're to do. We'll get to that in just a minute. Now in the time that we have remaining this morning, I really want to concentrate on one verse. One verse. Verse 11. Verse 11. Let me read it again. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. One reason I want to preach out of the King James is because I like that word reckon. Because I really want to narrow our study even a little further than one verse because I want us to look at the one word. 
the word that's translated reckon here in verse 11. That word uh, is in the Greek the word logis, logistae, logistae. And it, uh, it's a derivative of the word logisimai, logisimai. Uh, and it's translated here in the King James, reckon. reckon. I said, I, I like that word reckon. I, I grew up hearing that word a lot. Perhaps you did too, I don't know. Uh, I, I grew up uh, using that word. I still use it. My grandmother, <laughs> she used it all the time. Uh, I reckon this and I reckon that. Uh, it's translated in the ESV, consider. Uh, English Standard Version translates it, consider. Uh, the Christian Standard translates it the same way, consider. Uh, the, uh, the New English translates it, regard. Uh, Kenneth Wiest a Greek scholar, well-respected, has uh, several volumes of word, Greek word studies, and uh, he has his own expanded translation of the uh, New Testament, and he translates it like this. He says it's be constantly con counting, be constantly counting upon the fact. Be constantly counting upon the fact. Uh, but I like the word reckon. I like... Uh, Legisimai comes from a word that you're probably a lot more familiar with. Logisimai. Logisimai. There's a word, logos. You ever hear that word? Logos. Most of you are familiar with that, aren't you? Uh, it means word. It means word. Uh, this is the logos of God, isn't it? The word of God. Uh, but logos can also mean reason. Logos can mean account. Uh, and when we see logismi derived from the word logos, then it can mean to reckon. It can, it, it can mean to compute. It can mean to calculate. It can mean to take into account. It can mean uh, to deliberate. It can mean to weigh, but not in, uh, on scales or balance, but in your mind or in your thought, to weigh in your thought, in the thought process. Uh, Legisimi refers to the process of carefully studying something uh, in your thoughts and in your mind uh, with reasoning which results in arriving at a conclusion. Uh, it conveys the idea of calculating, calculating closely something in your mind. Most of you are aware of the fact that the Apostle Paul uh, not only was a preacher, a traveling preacher as an apostle, but he was, uh, he was also somewhat of a businessman, wasn't he? He was a tent maker. Uh, I, I would assume if he was a tent maker, he also had to be somewhat of a businessman. He had to sell those tents somewhere, didn't he? And so he had to be involved... Uh, in the business community to some degree at least. And the word legisimi uh, was a word that was commonly used uh, in the business community uh, where it was uh, used to impute or to put to someone's account. In other words, the Apostle Paul, if they had checks back in his day, which I doubt they did, but if he, uh, if he went in somewhere and sold uh, some tents that he made or something, somebody gave him a check or something like that, and if they had a bank, he would take the check, go to the bank, and have a certain amount put to his account, uh, imputed to his account or whatever. Uh, that word, logisimi, 
would be the word, uh, put to his account. Legisimai uh, is also related to a word that we have in our English language, the word logic. Logic. Uh, which relates to our method of thinking. Uh, uh, I want you to consider with me for just a few minutes how frequently the Apostle Paul uses this word uh, in, in just the few chapters leading up to uh, our text here this morning in his letter to the church at Rome. Go back with me and, and look with me for just a few moments here. Go all the way back to chapter 2 to begin with. The second chapter uh, and the third verse was the first place we see it. Uh, chapter chapter 2 of Romans in the third verse. Uh, here in the King James it says, And thinkest thou, and thinkest thou. Uh, I think the ESV has... Uh, do you suppose, something like that, and do you suppose, uh, but that's, uh, that's the word uh, uh, legisimi, or it's a derivative of the word uh, legisimi. Uh, well, let, let's go on down to verse 27, or 26 actually, uh, where we see it again, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted be counted for circumcision. And there it is again, a derivative of the word legisimi. Uh, in the third chapter, uh, I think we go uh, down to verse 28, we see it, where Paul says, therefore we conclude, we conclude, another derivative of the word legisimi. Uh, in the fourth chapter, <laughs> I don't know if we want to take the time, Look at all of them in the fourth chapter. There's 11 times in the fourth chapter where the word legisimi is used. We'll not take time to look at all of them. But you know uh, it's translated impute several times in the fourth chapter uh, where uh, Paul is talking about righteousness imputed uh, to our account, put to our account. You know, our sin was imputed to to Christ and Christ's righteousness imputed to us. That word impute is the word legisimi. But there's 11 times in the fourth chapter of Romans where the word legisimi is used. We get into the fifth chapter and we get down to the 13th verse. And Paul is saying, For until the law, uh, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. That word imputed there. Is a, is a word uh, that is a derivative of legisimi. And then, of course, when we come to the 6th chapter and the 11th verse, likewise, reckon, reckon. A derivative of legisimi. Uh, I think based upon the frequency of Paul's use of, of this word thus far in the letter, I think it would be foolish for us to think it would be anything less than difficult to understand Paul's letter to the church at Rome uh, if we didn't have an understanding of the importance as well as the meaning of this word that's translated uh, in this particular text, reckon, and uh, uh, in other ways, uh, with its various meanings at other places in his letter to the church at Rome. Uh, very important word for us to understand the meaning of, and uh, I trust that God will give us understanding this morning of how important it is right here in our text where Paul says, likewise, reckon, consider, consider you also yourselves to be dead indeed. We, we really need to go back just a 
couple of three verses here uh, and consider uh, what he means when he says likewise, likewise. Who is he talking about here when he says likewise? Back in verse 8 he says, Now if we be dead, or if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more, death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives, He lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves. So, he's talking about what took place in Christ, with Christ. Likewise, reckon yourself to be true in yourself and with yourself. Why? Because you're in Christ. Because you're united to Christ. It's inescapable. You can't avoid it. What took place in Christ has taken place in you because of your union with Him. Oh, how important that we see this. Uh, What is it do you think is Paul's objective as he writes to the church at Rome and as well, of course, to us here in verse 11? In just this one verse, what is his objective? Well, somebody has said that Paul wants us to understand our position in Christ. He wants us to understand that we are in Christ and how vitally important it is that all of us, you and I, understand this. We are in Christ. God put us there. If I'm a believer, I am in Christ. Do I fully understand all that? No, it's beyond me. How can it be? But it is. God said it. Paul's objective is that I understand. I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And then that I need to place two things, this guy said, in my spiritual bank account. Number one, I'm dead to sin. Number two, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm in Christ. And because of that, I'm dead to sin. And I'm alive to God in Christ. Well, each one of us, each one of us have got to take time to consider these facts. And they are facts. We've got to take time to consider these facts and make them an habitual exercise. A habitual exercise. And not just give them some kind of an occasional Casual, passing thought. Why? Because these are profound truths. Profound truths. That have the greatest impact upon our lives. In Romans 6.11, the Apostle Paul is calling for us to make it our practice. Like we said in his translation, be constantly counting upon the fact be constantly counting upon the fact. Well, that's what Paul is calling for us to do. Be constantly counting upon the fact and reflecting upon our union and identification with Christ, the Lord Jesus, 
because he knows that once we have a thorough grasp and understanding of this truth, it will lead to our victory over sin, as nothing else will. Profound truth. We're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we're dead to sin and alive unto God through the Lord Jesus. Now, for those of you who have an interest in grammar, as we all should, especially in this case, the word that we're considering here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11 is translated reckon or consider is present imperative. Present imperative. Bear with me if you would. I want to share with you something that I read. just want to read this to you. Because it really spoke to my heart. This guy said, reckoning. Reckoning means to continually, to continually count on the fact that God has actually done what He said He would do. Keep on counting yourselves to be what God says you are. Continually count on the fact that if God said it, He meant it, and therefore He did it. It means to live on the basis of the fact that God wasn't kidding when He said what He would do. When He said He would do this. Therefore, He did it. Therefore, you can continually count on it. Reckoning is not just claiming a promise, but acting upon a fact. It's not naming it and claiming it, folks. There are those that go around saying, name it and claim it. That's nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the Word of God. If God states something as a fact, then you have reason to claim it. But not until. If God says it, it's not make-believe. It's not getting yourself into some kind of an emotional tizzy or pretending something is true and that you know, if you know it's not true, it's believing that what God has said He would do, He really did do, therefore... It's really true. Therefore, you can depend upon it. Therefore, you can stake your life upon it. Therefore, it's an actual fact. What is in view is not fictitious or pretend or merely symbolical as an event, but it's a settled determination. And so live in the light of Christ's death and in the strength of power which has already defeated sin's reign in His death and your death with Him. We're in Christ. And when He died, we died with Him. When He was buried, that old man was buried with Him. And when he rose from the tomb, we rose with him with a new life. A new life. Let me remind you, this word logizomai can be translated compute 
or calculate. And one man has said in Romans 6.11, Legismai is used with the meaning of adding up a column as in accounting and coming up with a sum total. And in the case of Romans 6.1-10, leading up to verse 11, that total, the truth in those verses, being in the black, so to speak, provides each believer with an inexhaustible divine checking account based upon riches procured by the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Astounding, isn't it? Amazing, isn't it? But not a fairy tale. It's the truth. It's the truth. What we're considering here this morning is solid, rock solid, biblical truth. I read it from God's Word. Truth as it is in Christ Jesus. It's what Paul said to the Galatians, isn't it? In Galatians 2.20, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. So reckon, so reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is a truth, and it's a truth to be believed. John Gregory Mantle, he said there's a great difference between realizing on that cross, he was crucified for me. And on that cross, I'm crucified with him. The one aspect brings deliverance from sin and its condemnation, the other from sin's power. And it's sin's power that you and I, as believers, struggle with every day of our lives. But we don't have to. Not if we believe the truth and reckon, consider, or as we said, be constantly counting upon the fact that we're in Christ and dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Truth to be believed and truth will not be bound says William Gurnall. Truth will not be bound. And once truth and the soul agree, he says the person can lift up his head and know that his redemption and delivery from spiritual slavery draw near. The key is already in the lock. To let him out. It's impossible for us to know Truth as it is in Jesus and remain strangers to the freedom that comes with it. The truth's already in the law. 
what is that truth that's already in the law? We're in Christ. Oh, that we might see and understand that great truth. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to grasp that. It's a spiritual reality. It's not something we can reach out and get a hold of with our hands. It's not something we can feel. It's not something we can taste or or hear or whatever with our physical senses. It's a spiritual reality. It's a truth that the Spirit of God and He alone can make real to us. So what do we do? We cry out to Him. Show me, Lord. Show me, Lord. Teach me, Lord. Make me to know. Convince me, Lord. Open my eyes that I might see. That I am in Christ. In Christ. And being in Christ. I'm dead to sin and alive unto God through Christ. And that's the path to victory. That's the path to triumph over sin. It's the only path. Anything else is fleshly. Anything else is by the law and not by grace. Oh, but Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, how I pray that God will help us to see this and understand this clearly and that it'll make a difference in our lives, that it'll help us and strengthen us in our daily walk. I need it. I need it. I suspect you need it too. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. God help us. Let's pray.